I remember many years ago speaking at a street meeting in Oldham, England, and only this morning realizing that at that very city was born our speaker this morning, Elder John Longdon, who is an assistant to the Council of the Twelve Apostles, has been a one of our general authorities since 1951, and he was born in Oldham, Lancashire, England. He's one of our two present general authorities who have been born outside of the United States. He came to Utah with his parents when he was 10 years of age. He attended Salt Lake City Schools, the LDS Business College, and the University of Utah. He's had a very active business life, serving eventually as the manager of the Western Westinghouse Electric Supply Company for a period of 10 years until the time of his call as a general authority. He's also been very active in civic affairs, serving in various civic clubs. He's had responsible church positions from his youth. He fulfilled a mission for the church in the central states from October 1921 to March 1924. On his return from his mission, he was chosen the assistant superintendent of the Salt Lake Stake Mutual board. He was a bishop. He served as a high councilman, a member of the General Welfare Committee of the Church, and as I mentioned, he was called to his present position as assistant to the Council of Twelve, October 11th, 1951. He married Sister Frances LaRue Carr in the Salt Lake Temple, 1924. At the present time, one of his special assignments with the General Authorities is to supervise the missions in the Inner Mountain and Indian regions, to supervise the Inner Mountain and Indian missions. Brother Longdon is a very gifted speaker, a great lover of the youth, and also a very able and gifted singer, Elder Longdon. My visit has been well repaid this morning in sharing a confidence with one of your leaders, if I never receive anything else, for this experience will be used in helping and assisting others. I was impressed with the with all that has transpired, and especially the prayer where he mentioned and asked that the Spirit of the Lord might mingle with ours, that we might have the vision to see and understand the kingdom, and that we might have the ability to share with others. It ties in so beautifully with some of the thoughts that I have prepared for this morning's remarks, invoking likewise the inspiration of the Lord to be with me. I might begin with a true story that came to my attention a couple of days ago 
a lady missionary having just received some additional funds from home for Christmas, went out to do some shopping with her companion. As they approached the store, she noticed a young lad standing there, rather attracted to him, and especially after she came out of the store, some time having elapsed, he was still there. And she went up to him and said, uh, Are you waiting for your parents? He answered, No, they're dead. Well, aren't you cold? Not now that you have talked to me. She felt impressed. She said, Would you stand here until I return? And then placing her hand upon his shoulder, said, Now you promise me that you won't go. You'll stay here till I come back. And he promised. She went into the store, bought some gifts, came out, and gave them to him. He said, Are you God's wife? No, but I'm one of his children, and so are you. Oh, I thought you must be related to him. <laughs> yes, we are related to that Christ child born in a manger. And while she gave material gifts, she had given something of herself. Peace on earth cannot come from presenting or receiving material gifts only. It must be a condition of the heart and the mind which starts with you and me, the individual, Jesus set the glorious example, Peace be unto Pilate, peace be unto the thieves on the cross, peace be unto Iscariot. Jesus never will be surpassed. Even those who deny Jesus Christ have to date their event of his birth from his birth. He came to fulfill the law. An eye for an eye and tooth for a truth was to be fulfilled. He came with the gospel of love. Yes, the world do not honor him as a discoverer, as a scientist, a man of art, inventor, or statesman. Where does his greatness shine? In the realm of character or spirituality. For he said, In me ye shall have peace. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. I was going to read some scripture from Matthew, but I'm afraid there isn't time. I would make reference to it. Matthew, the first chapter, the 20th to the 25th verses. But I should like to read from Luke, the second chapter. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. 
And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David the Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward all men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go, even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste, and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered of those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus. Yes, we testify that he was born as a mortal being in this life, that he lived for three, 33 short years, for he came to live. He came to have the experience of this mortal life. He came to die. Yes, a mortal death, that is. He came as a sacrifice to redeem all mankind from a spiritual death. He came to bless. He came to build. He came to create. He came to encourage. He came to save. He came to exalt. Jesus lived to carry the cross. We, too, may live to carry our own cross of troubles and problems, providing we have the companionship spoken of this morning to have the companionship and spirit of the Lord mingling with ours. And at the same time, we will enjoy his strength. Jesus had his problems, I think, as he went into the Garden of Gethsemane, the Garden of Gethsemane, as he was facing the crucifixion and uttered one of the great prayers which he has uttered. Oh, God, let this cup pass from me, but not as I wilt, but as thou wilt, O God. In other words, thy will be done. 
Yes. Thus Jesus Christ set the pattern of unselfish giving when he gave himself for the sins of the world. He followed his Father's example, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, and so on. We as individuals can stress that phase of giving not involving material things. I quote from Ella Wheeler Wilcox. Oh, I know you've heard it, but it's good to repeat it. I gave a beggar from my little store of wealth some gold. He spent the shining ore and came again and yet again, still cold and hungry as before. I gave a thought. And through that thought of mine he found himself, the man supreme, divine, fed, clothed, and crowned with blessing manifold, and now he begs no more. May I also quote from Henry Van Dyke, Are you willing to forget what you have done for others and to remember what others have done for you, to ignore what the world owes you and to think what you owe the world? to stoop down and consider the needs and desires of little children, to remember the weakness of those no longer young, to stop asking how much your friends love you and ask yourself whether you love them enough. Are you willing to do these things even for a day? If so, then you can keep Christmas. And if you can keep it for a day, why not always? The one certain formula for peace and progress awaits rediscovery rather than discovery. It was given by the only man who could read history forward to the limits of time as well as backwards to where it began. He gave it 2,000 years ago in a single sentence. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, might, mind, and strength. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Jesus further stated in John, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Christ was born in a time of tyranny, yet he was the prince of peace. He died a victim of that tyranny, yet he taught a gospel of love, of reconciliation with our neighbors. He was the personification of harmony, tranquility, and good feeling. Can there be any peace in the world without the author of peace? Can the Antichrist know peace? But can the rebellious Christian do so either? Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, said the Savior, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. After all is said, isn't that the answer to the problem of peace or war in this world? Isn't that the message of Christmas? Wilfred Peterson has put it in very beautiful words and thought. It's titled The Magic Spirit of Christmas. In a way, we are each like an electric switch. The amount of Christmas magic shines through us is controlled by us. We have the power to turn the ideals of Christmas on or off in our lives. The personality-transforming power of Christmas, like the electricity in our homes, 
can be used whenever we want to use it. We can live in darkness or in light. It is up to us. Most of the year we are burning candles of goodwill, joy, and tolerance. The tiny flames penetrate only a little way into the surrounding darkness of ill will, selfishness, and hatred. Then at Christmas time the miracle happens. Somehow we discover the switch that turns on the electricity of the Spirit. For a while the world is brilliantly lighted with hope, love, faith, kindness, peace. Why do we go back to the candles of, and kerosene lamps of the Spirit when the spiritual electricity of Christmas is always available? It is like using electric lights and electric power for only a few days a year than going back to old-fashioned methods for the balance of the year. Just as electric power is available the year around, the magic spirit of Christmas is ours to use 365 days in the year. If someone invented a light meter so sensitive that it could record the light in the faces of men, women, and children, the highest reading would come during the Christmas season. It is then that people radiate the best thoughts, the deepest emotions, the finest spirit, for Christmas makes men glow. The mighty dynamos that generate electricity to give light and power to a city are utilized the year around. Christmas, with all its deeper meaning, is a mighty spiritual dynamo. It generates the power to keep the lights of the spirits of men burning to light up the world. The world would be transformed if we would leave the magic spirit of Christmas turned on the whole year through. The switch is in our hearts. And I have added, we are at the controls. Yes, the plan of life and salvation authored by Jesus in our pre-existent estate is practical and can be applied in our daily lives for our physical, mental, moral, cultural, spiritual benefits and blessings. For Jesus came, as I say, to bless. Then we think of the miracles which he performed, making the blind to see, and I think of that. This was a physical blindness, but I'm thinking of helping and assisting those who are spiritually blind to see the light and truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ. May I quote a parable not written by Jesus? It's titled, Why Jesus Christ? There's a story told by the organist of the great church of Freiburg. He was sitting one day at the console of the organ, and while he played, a stranger came in and stood behind him. At the end of a half hour, the stranger said, May I take the instrument? But the organist refused. Still the stranger waited. At intervals he repeated the request, and finally, unwillingly, the organist gave way. The stranger took the stool and sat for a moment, looking at the keys. Then he began, and immediately there burst from the eager pipes grander music than the great organ had ever yielded before. It filled the church. It dwelt in the branching roof. It awakened the sleeping angels. The stone pillars shouted for joy. Overcome, the organist seized the shoulders of the stranger, and as the melody died away, he said, Who are you? I am Felix Mendelssohn, said the stranger. And to think, said the organist, 
that I nearly refuse Mendelssohn the use of my organ. It is a parable, and if you want the life of Jesus to produce harmony in your life, you've got to let the master musician play it. He can draw more music from it than you can of yourself. A merely decent life can be changed to a life that produces the harmony of heaven. I wonder how many of us will come to the end of life and have to say, I refuse to let Jesus play upon the keys of my life. This was written by John T. Sitch and Dr. Frederick K. Stamm. Yes, the Savior's teachings this Christmas season should inspire us to think of others, as mentioned in the beautiful prayer this morning. And in conjunction with this, I reflect on an experience that happened many years ago when General Booth was head of the great Salvation Army organization. At Christmas and New Year's, he desired to send a message by cablegram and telegram to all the Salvation Army posts throughout the world. And he wanted, he realized that it would be rather expensive. So he gave it some thought and was inspired to boil it down to one word. I think the biggest word in the dictionary. Others. Charles D. Meggs caught the inspiration and wrote these few lines. Lord, help me live from day to day in such a self-forgetful way that even when I kneel to pray, my prayer shall be of others. Help me in all the work I do to ever be sincere and true and know that all I do for you must needs be done for others. Let self be crucified and slain and buried deep and all in vain my efforts be to raise again and less to live for others. And when my work on earth is done and my new work in heaven begun, may I forget the crown I've won while thinking still of others. Others, Lord, yes, others. Let this my motto be, help me live for others that I may live for thee. And then I think of a humble, simple thanksgiving prayer. Oh God, keep our hearts thankful. Never let us forget the source of all our blessings, nor our privilege to share them with others. Yes, with these teachings and these thoughts in mind, then we will not spend, observe, celebrate, but we will commemorate and keep Christmas in our mind and in our heart. We need to be reminded of these things. I remember being in a home of a state president just last year, six small children in that home Sunday morning waiting for breakfast as the wife was busily engaged along with preparation of these youngsters for conference session. I had a little time and sat in the living room with the beautiful edition, the quadruple Book of Mormon, Bible, Doctrine and Covenants, Pearl of Great Price. Young lad, eight or nine years of age in that home, came up, knew the book in which I was reading, and he said, Brother Longden, show me the picture of Jesus. And I hurriedly turned to it in that volume. There's no difficulty. I was interested in seeing the expression upon his face. It just illuminated as he saw the picture of Jesus. I felt impressed to ask him, Why do you want to see the picture of Jesus? I received this significant answer, Because it reminds me. 
Every one of us need to be constantly reminded to have a picture in our mind of Jesus. Are we willing to believe love is the strongest thing in the world, stronger than hate, stronger than evil, stronger than death, and that the blessed life which began in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago is the image in brightness of that eternal love? Yes, what is Christmas? It is goodwill toward men. Our president, as he's been referred to this morning, and I'm grateful that students are there to greet him and give your message from this great institution. He turns on the lights of the trees on the temple grounds, and we turn them on in our homes and our businesses. It is compassion for the joyless and the homeless, baskets for the needy, Christmas on Skid Row, Gifts for the shut-ins, visits to the sick and afflicted, visits to the orphanage, remembering those in Vietnam. Yes, I just listened to a story a few days ago, a young man killed in Vietnam, not more than two weeks ago. Just before passing away, he had written a letter to his mother and grandmother, his father and grandfather having passed on from this mortal life. He held the office of a priest. He hadn't been too active at home, but he learned to appreciate the kingdom of God in that far-off country and under those conditions. But he had written in this letter to his mother and grandmother that he had never had such joy as he'd experienced in sharing the gospel and teaching the gospel to others. It is the glow of a child's face discovering the joys of the tree, dolls for the girls, skis for the boys, and trains for the dads. <laughs> it is the binding tie that brings families together, meeting the plane, the bus, the train, the ship, the car. Back home for Christmas. The warm feeling of worshiping together. It seems like you have the spirit of worship when you give a cheery, Merry Christmas. Doesn't it do something? It just illuminates and touches a spark within you. Yes, Christmas is a needy child and a toy shop, broken toys repaired by clubs, civic organizations, fire department employees, and others. It is the humble story of a mother and child. It is the faith that knows no bounds, unbroken through the centuries. It is peace in the midst of a world in confusion. Silent night, holy night. It is the songs of Noel. I heard the bells on Christmas Day. Jingle bells. Hark the herald angels sing. The birthday of a king. Come all ye faithful. No chapel is too small or too large for the Christmas spirit. As we partake of the sacrament, we renew our covenants with the Lord Jesus to keep his commandments to always remember him, to take his name upon us. And then the glorious promise that we may always have his spirit to be with us. No house is too small or too large or magnificent in the city, in the country, at Grandpa's farm. Might be in a trailer or a tent. The spirit of the Lord can dwell therein. Yes. May I give you this Christmas greeting written in 1513, discovered by Robert Updegraff of Scarsdale, New York, over 400 years old. This thought, 
I am sure that you too will receive inspiration from this as I have. It was written by Fra Giovanni. I salute you. There is nothing I can give you which you have not. But there is much that, while I cannot give, you can take. No heaven can come to us unless our hearts find rest in it today. Take heaven. No peace lies in the future which is not hidden in the present. Take peace. The gloom of the world is but a shadow behind it, yet within our reach is joy. Take joy. And so at this Christmas time I greet you with a prayer that for you, now and forever, the day breaks and the shadows flee away. In conclusion, may I give you a thought from President David O. McKay, our prophet, no one can preside over this church without first being in tune with the head of the church. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, He is the head. This is our church. Without His divine guidance and constant inspiration, we cannot succeed. With His guidance, with His inspiration, we cannot fail. This same philosophy has application to every one of our individual lives. For I bear witness and testimony that our Heavenly Father and His Divine Son, Jesus Christ, did appear to the boy Joseph Smith in what is now known as the Sacred Grove approximately 147 years ago. Yes, He saw them. He witnessed them. He was the instrument through which the kingdom was to be restored and the fullness of the gospel. Yes, there will always be a Christmas, for God has established his church in the earth. I bear witness and testimony that President McKay loves the Lord. He loves the work. He loves the gospel. He loves the people. May we have that same love in our hearts as we commemorate this Christmas season in a pleasing manner before our Heavenly Father, I humbly pray, leaving my blessing with you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.